Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. This is another special Wednesday morning episode, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention my latest leadership book. It's called You Have the Watch, and it's available on my website and on Amazon. It's a number one new release and a bestseller on Amazon, and I'm excited about this new book because it's not actually a book. It's a guided journal for leaders that will take you through an entire year of leadership training. There are 50 themes in the book, and each day you'll reflect on a different facet of that theme. This journal is designed to be on your desk at work for you to read and reflect on for about 15 minutes each morning. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them, and this journal helps you practice those critical leadership skills. So if you're interested in this guided journal, go to youofthewatch.com or Amazon and pick up your copy today. Now, if you're looking for other ways to support what I'm doing on the show, purchase any one of my books at johnsrenny.com and podcast listeners can use the discount code DEEP at checkout to get additional savings. Also, I just wanted to mention that Deep Leadership is now ranked in the top 2.5% most popular shows out of 3 million podcasts globally according to Listen Score, and I want to thank each and every one of you for listening in each week and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show, so thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today we're going to be talking about the lessons we can learn from listening to the stories of experienced leaders. My guest is Brian Beckham, who hosts the popular Lessons from Leaders podcast. Now, Brian has interviewed some of the top leaders in sports, business, and the military, and he's found some common themes that are universal truths when it comes to leading people. Brian helps us understand these truths and shows us how we can apply them in our daily roles as leaders. Now, this was a fun and informative discussion that I know you'll enjoy. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brian Beckham. Brian is a computer scientist, philosopher, author, and trial lawyer based in Houston, Texas. His law firm, 
VB Attorneys is one of the top law firms in the country. Brian hosts the popular Lessons from Leaders podcast, and I'm excited to have him on the show to learn from his unique views on leadership. So, Brian, welcome to the show. John, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this today. Yeah, I am as well. So let's get started with, okay, I introduced you as a computer scientist, philosopher, author, and trial lawyer. I've never done that before. Um, so <laughs> how do these things come together? And, um, and and you know, how did they come together for you in your career, in your life? And then how are these disciplines connected? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I have a kind of a shorter version of the story and a longer version of the story. So I, I went off to college at Texas A&M in the early 90s. I went I got to A&M in 1991 and didn't know what I wanted to major in because I was completely focused on playing basketball at the time, played basketball at A&M my first year. And that's really all I thought about. But in the early 90s, computers were starting to be networked. I actually had an email address in 1991, which was wow. kind of useless because there were about five people you could email. <laughs> but but I, I I got really interested in computers. I did not know that I would have to take four different calculus classes, linear algebra, differential equations, and about 17 other math classes. I thought I would just get to sit in front of a computer and program. But anyway, I spent four years at AM. I also I had a philosophy degree because I was interested in questions of ethics and morals and moral philosophy and stuff like that. And most people in computer science took a minor, but it would be math or physics or engineering or chemistry or something like that. I said, well, I'll just do philosophy. And a little known fact, John, is the original computer scientists back in the 60s and even back into the 50s, a lot of them were philosophers. Mm. Why is that? Because the type of discipline thinking that you learn in philosophy is very, very applicable to the type of discipline thinking you need for computer programming. But but in any event, the short story I tell people is I spent four years in a computer lab at AM with a bunch of nerds and decided I didn't want to sit in front of a computer my whole life. So I was like, well, what the heck? I'll go, go to law school. And now 20 years later, what do I do? Sit in front of a computer all day long. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. yeah. So, so, you know, it, it, the, the kind of the longer story though is, <clears throat> you know, I was I was there for the I saw the first kind of bits of the internet that were released to the public. I saw the first bits of Internet Explorer, like we talked about, email, chatbot. I mean, I was really there when the computer industry started to explode a little bit. People that are my age, I'm almost 50, will remember the stock market going nuts in the mid-90s with all the computer stuff. And, and the, really, when I went to law school, I went to law school not knowing what kind of law I wanted to practice. I had a bunch of people walk up to me uh, – uh, law firms that you ought to be a patent lawyer. Mm. You're a computer scientist. You should be a patent lawyer. Patent this, patent that. And I started asking the patent lawyers what they do. And they said, well, it's like writing a research paper every week. <laughs> you know, and I thought to myself, that sounds absolutely it does horrible. Sound that yeah. sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, you know, I started seeing what the trial lawyers do and that seemed really exciting to me. I mean, it, it's almost like I was an, you know, I was an athlete growing up, played in a bunch of big games, state finals, all that stuff in front of a bunch of people. And I kind of missed that adrenaline rush. Mm. You know, John, as somebody that was in the military, you know what I'm talking about. When you're in a stressful situation, it's stressful and anxiety causing and all that, but it's also exhilarating. And so trial law is kind of like, it's super exhilarating. I tell people the trial lawyers are the jet pilots of the legal profession. And so I, I became very, very attracted to that. And, you know, the computer part 
when I started practicing wasn't that big a deal, but I was one of the first lawyers to have a blog mm. and I would write a blog once a week. My computer nowadays, any kind of case where somebody's hurt involving a truck or a car, anything like that, the very first question they ask nowadays is, were they on the phone? Mm. And, you know, I've had some super, super large cases where being able to extract data from a phone, being able to understand what it means, being able to understand when somebody was uh, being dishonest about what was on their phone has been a, a real boon to me in my practice. So while law and computer science and philosophy sound unrelated on the surface, the the kind of the underlying way of thinking and being able to think rationally, being able to reason through things is is the same in, in all three disciplines. So they, they've been a lot more complimentary than I would have expected to, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I definitely can see that as you, as you talk through it and it does make a lot of sense, you know, that they do sort of flow. It's a, it's a, it's a way of thinking and coming out with an answer or a solution in a, in a, in a disciplined way of thinking through a, through a problem. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, so when, when did you develop a passion for leadership? Yeah, that probably first developed. So after I got done playing uh, basketball at AM, I joined the Corps Cadets at AM, which is mm. a 24 hour a day, seven day a week, mili- essentially a military academy like West Point or the Air Force Academy, the Naval Academy, inside of a 50,000 student uh, population. And so I wore a uniform every day. I went through Hell Week. I got yelled at, had to do a bunch of push-ups, and then as I gradually kind of worked my way up until I became a senior, I was a wing commander my senior year and did, did a few other things. And so that really, that formative experience in college is what really got me interested in leadership. I got to meet some of the most unbelievable young leaders to be that you will ever meet in your life. Matter of fact, some come on my podcast now. And I've got uh, one of my good friends just made brigadier general in the army, got multiple friends that are colonels in the Marine Corps and the Air Force and things like that. And so, you know, my, my background, we were talking about this before the show is, is military. My dad, grandfather, older brother, all in the military. Dad flew 200 combat missions over Vietnam. Mm. That's how I grew up. And so when I think of leadership, I think of two things. Actually, I think of three things now, but my whole life, I thought of two types of people just because of the way I grew up. I thought of people in the military and I thought of people in sports. Mm, And now, now I've started Brazilian jiu-jitsu over the last three or four years. And I, the, the guy that runs my jiu-jitsu studio is a Brazilian guy named Alpiano Malacheas and boy, one of the best leaders I have ever met in my life, being able to handle 800 super tough guys manage them guys that want to fight every day guys that got a lot of testosterone and stuff handling those different personalities so but but to me uh, my leadership uh kind of my guiding stars and leadership have always been either people that serve the country in the military or people that have done great things in sports that makes a lot of sense and there's a lot of there's a lot of commonality between them. And, and I find a lot of people that are in this leadership space are coaches. You know, you yeah. find a lot of coaches um, that are teaching the same type of leadership lessons and they're, they're, they're leading their student athletes and they're leading their professional athletes, you know, to and one of the things, one of the more common threads that I see, and I think sometimes leaders in business need to learn from coaches is that 
they recruit, they train up, they they guide, uh, but then they get off the field, you know. And yeah. that's one of the things that sometimes leaders in business don't know is like you've got to get off the field, you got to let your best players play. Hundred percent. Uh, and so 100%. I think there's a lot of parallels between that, and I've seen a lot of coaches in this leadership space. Um, so yeah, it's it, there's a lot of common common threads between the military sports and then business. I think they, 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 there's a lot of common threads. So, um, so I, uh, I want to talk to you about your podcast. You have a great podcast called lessons from leaders and what kind of guests do you have on the show and what's your primary focus uh, on the show? Yeah. So I I started the podcast right in the middle of the quarantine. I took the quarantine very seriously. We were in our house, you know, four or five months, like a lot of people. I was looking on the internet all day long, looking on social media. It was just people yelling and bitching and moaning and complaining. (laughs) Finally, I was like, man, somebody needs to get some positivity out in the world. So Mm -hmm. I'd been thinking about starting a podcast for quite some time, but I had two questions. Number one, what am I going to talk about? And number two, who the heck cares what some lawyer in Houston, Texas thinks about anything? (laughs) Right. Right. So I didn't really have a a purpose for it. And during quarantine, I started thinking about because of some of the experiences that I've had in sports and and in the military setting about all the cool people I knew and and great leaders. And I was sitting there drinking a glass of wine with my wife one night on the back porch trying to think of a name. And she goes, how about lessons from leaders? And I was like, oh, my gosh, that is a (laughs) great name. Yeah, I mean, it's a great name. You know, you know how it is, John, like, yeah, somebody to come on. John Rennie's podcast is one thing. Yeah, somebody to come on a leadership podcast, totally different ballgame. But yeah, so and you, so and that, you state yeah. your genre in the title, right? So everybody yeah. knows this is a leadership podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And so the so kind of the original intent of the podcast, and this is also, by the way, when Zoom is becoming more accepted and stuff like that, I, I don't have to fly people to Houston. So mm-hmm. it gives me access to a lot more people. But in any event, I the very first person I had on the podcast, a guy named Ben Glass, he's a father of nine, runs two businesses in Virginia. He's my marketing and business mentor. And then from there, it was kind of like just people that I who were friends of mine or that I knew very close. I've I've got, uh, for example, I've got the former commanding officer, Nellis Air Force Base Thunderbirds pilot. I've got a Marine Corps combat officer. I've got a Purple Heart recipient who was a Marine Corps. I've got a I've got the Marine Corps officer who trained Marine Corps officers <laughs> at OCS. So so uh, that that yeah. kind of deal. And then I've I've also had a, a number of great sports figures. So I've had for example RC Slocum who's a head football coach at Texas A&M, member of the College Football Hall of Fame, Jackie Sherrill, had the president of Texas A&M who talks about moving to the SEC. And then I'm interested in uh things like consciousness and future and technology and stuff. So I've had a lot of people like that on my show, uh, people, New York Times, bestselling author, CFO, eBay, some, some other people like that. So it, it really is, it, it's a broad uh, spectrum of guests. The, the the one or two things I really look for in a guest is number one, I don't want anybody that's going to be super negative mm. and complain. I've actually shot a few podcasts and the, it wasn't quite as positive. I didn't release them. So the, the podcast is, is, is focused on people that are making a positive impact in whatever field they happen to be in. That that's really the driving force behind it. I love it. I love it. We need more more positive um, sources of media in the world today. So I'm glad yeah. to see you do that. I think on on this podcast we do something similar to that. We, you know, yeah. we're just focusing on the, the people that are making a difference in the world. And I think I, it sounds like you're doing the same. And I and I commend you for that. We need more more positive voices out there, especially in a, you know, 24-7 news cycle, which is not 
so positive anymore. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's 100%. perfect. Yeah. yeah. So um, if you think like if you think about all the episodes you've run, you've run just about as long as we have on this podcast. Are there yeah. some guests that ha- you've had on the show that sort of changed your thinking about leadership or opened up an avenue of thinking on leadership that you hadn't really considered or something? I know I had a few guests that I just I ruminate on their on what they say, like like for weeks after I'm on they're on my podcast. I'm like, oh, that was a powerful thought. And um, any anyone that stands out from you like that, that just sort of there was a message in there that you didn't expect and it, it changed your thinking. Yeah, there's there's two two of those that come immediately to mind. So, and John, by the way, 100% agree with you. One of the coolest things about doing a podcast is I'm learning stuff. Like, mm, yeah, people are telling me things that I either never thought about or never thought about it in the way they're talking about it. And it's been phenomenal to hear from mm. some really, really amazing people. But I tell you, so when I first started it, both of my old, one of my boys just started college. The other one's a junior in high school, but both of them were playing sports. And I talked to a former uh, all American football player, a guy named Bucky Richardson, a former all American basketball player. And they both said the same. I would ask him about, raising kids that are athletes Mm. and they both said the exact same thing they said it in different ways but fundamentally they said the same thing they said look both the and both these guys were athletic stars at a very high level they both played professional sports and they said when your kid comes home don't be his coach be Uh, his father be his dad boy that Mm -hmm. Yeah, that just really resonated with me because I have a tendency (laughs) or had a tendency, you know, I coached all coached my kids for 12 years and I want to coach them up. I want to get them as good as they can, even when we're back at home. And, you know, I I just thought it's such simple advice. But when your kids come home, Mm -hmm. be their dad, don't don't be their coach. The second thing that was really cool, John, and I'm not sure I, I would be interested to hear if you've had this experience. So. I started noticing after about 15 or 20 podcasts that people would say the same. I would start to see patterns. And so I asked, I asked some of the same questions kind of near the end. I I asked about, you know, what's the most important thing in leadership? What are the fundamental principles and stuff? And so I started seeing these patterns and I got asked about halfway through last year by a Colonel friend of mine in the air force to come give a speech to some air force officers on leadership. And I said, sure, he'd been listening to my podcast. And so what I ended up doing was I kind of tried to distill the five fundamental principles of leadership that I had heard across the board from my guests. So, for instance, I had heard from a brigadier general in the Army, from the district attorney of a town in Texas, from a U.S. congressman, and from a New York Times bestselling author that leaders are servants. And so mm-hmm. like in the speech, the number one principle of leadership I talk about is leadership is about service. Leadership is about serving the people you lead, at least positive leadership is. Uh, trusting your intuition, trusting your gut. Uh, I kept hearing that again and again and again. Like if you're faced with a, with a decision and your your instincts and your gut is telling you something, you need to listen to it. And I was hearing this these patterns again and again. So uh, the one thing about Raising sports kids really, really sticks out to me. And the other the other thing that really sticks out to me is how different people from different walks of life in different careers with different experiences kind of say the same thing about leadership mm. fundamentally. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, there, there are a lot of common threads. And um, 
What's interesting to me is that there's been 15,000 books written on leadership, and <laughs> yet we still fail when it comes to leadership in general, right? Uh, yeah. If you look yeah. at the amount of people that are engaged in corporations, for example, it's about 30%. So 70% of people are disengaged, and the yeah. number one reason is typically leadership. So yeah. we we know what to do, <laughs> but we don't do it. And it's it's right. a, there's a knowing doing gap in leadership I, I see. And that's the reason why I do this podcast is try to expand the amount of people that you know, can hear a positive message about leadership. So that's one of my frustrations is that we do know a lot about leadership. There are a lot of common themes and common threads. Leadership is simple but complex. Uh, but yet we don't practice it. And that's 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 the that's been a common theme I've I've heard too with the people I talk to is that some of this stuff is is pretty straightforward, but you gotta do it. You know, so like, yeah. like treating someone tre- treating people with respect is a pretty good principle in leadership. Yet yeah. people still don't do that. Just the basic things, please thank you. Uh, you know, I appreciate what you did, you know, common courtesy, common human interactions, we don't do. We we say I'm the boss, yeah. do it my way. And and so we miss out on all the great things from leadership because we don't do simple things like treating people with respect. So hundred percent agree. My dad used to tell me when I was growing up that he never pulled rank because mm-hmm. he said, "I feel like if I had to pull rank, I, that was a failure of leadership." And for people that don't or don't understand what we're talking about, that military lingo basically that means I'm a colonel, you're a lieutenant, you listen to me. Yeah, that's called that's pulling rank. That's at least according to my dad and a lot of other people, me, me included. That's not real leadership. If you have to force people to do things against their will, you're not leading them effectively. But the the problem is, just like you said, and one of the five fundamental principles of leadership in my speech was, you got to know that leader is not asking you to do something that they wouldn't do themselves. Yeah. And yeah. so I think a lot of leaders fail in that regard. Like I, I, you know, I run a law firm, run a law firm for 20 years. I got a bunch of people working for me. Guess what? I know how to staple papers. I know how to work the copying machine. I know how to mail. So I can do all the stuff everybody else can do. And if I have to, I'll do it. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's just kind of setting, you know, you hear this cliche phrase leading by example, but it's cliched for a reason because it's true. Uh, You're not going to follow somebody if you think, man, this person is asking me to do something that I know for sure they would never do themselves. People just aren't, I mean, maybe short term they follow that, but long term that doesn't, that that doesn't work out. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by the Fraternity of Excellence. The Fraternity of Excellence is an online and real-world community for men who are looking to improve in all areas of their lives. The men of FOE are working together to become better husbands, fathers, and leaders at work and in their communities. 
They live by a simple philosophy, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I've been a member for more than three years, and for me, I finally found a brotherhood of men that I was missing from my time in the military. Now, I love being around guys who are dedicated to becoming a better version of themselves. So if you're interested in becoming a man of excellence as well, go to fraternityofexcellence.com, or you can reach out directly to me to learn more. Yeah, I think if you're above everything, if you're not willing to uh, show that you're willing to do, you know, if anything that you ask your employees to do, you're willing to do as well. I think people people see that and they respect it. I mean, I, I run a manufacturing company. What do I do this afternoon? And most afternoons, I wa- I wander out, talk to the employees. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I see there's something that has to be done. There's there's some boxes that are, that are you know product that's in the box ready to be palletized. So I'm just taping boxes. I'm talking to employees. I I know just about every job in the plant. So I'll yeah. just jump on it. And and what am I doing? I'm talking to the employees, right? Yeah. And and I'm connecting with them. But I'm also I'm also doing a job where they say, oh well, Rennie's not above, you know, packing a box and putting it on a pallet. And um, yeah. and I think they, they there's, there's a there's a common they they they're connected to they they see as someone that's not willing or not not above doing any any work. Well. I'll tell you two quick stories on that yeah. real quick. One story is there's this famous soci- sociological theory called the broken windows theory, which basically says if you see an apartment complex and there's a broken window and you don't fix it next week, there'll be five next week, there'll be 10. And so in my office, when I walk up to the office, if there's a piece of paper that's three inches big sitting on the floor where it's not supposed to be, I tell people, we got to pick that up. Like we can't, because otherwise, you know, next week there'll be five pieces of paper. The next week there'll be 10 pieces of paper. So the little things matter and the leader has to be aware of the little things and make sure those matter. The second thing is a couple of weeks ago, I was training jujitsu with my Brazilian four-stripe black belt professor who runs an 800-person jujitsu studio, one of the toughest guys you'll ever meet very, very successful businessman. And when we finished, he went out there and was mopping the mats. And I go, hey, man, uh, can I help you with that? I I, I don't mind doing it because I'm way lower ranking than he is. And I kind of felt like it should be my job to do it. And he turned around and he said, thanks for offering. Uh, but a samurai cleans the mats. Mm. And I was like, wow, I like that saying, right? Yeah. So this guy literally never has to clean a mat for the rest of his life, but he still does. But he still does. Because he wants yeah. to show his people that he's willing to do what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. Very powerful. Wow. Um, how about your evolution as a leader? I mean, you've been running your law firm for 20 years now. Um, yeah. You know, did you make some mistakes early on? You know, what lessons have you learned over the years? How did your leadership style change uh, with, with experience? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, so like I said, I'm I'm almost 50. And I think it took me a very long time to realize what I'm about to say. But probably five, six, seven years ago, something like that, I finally realized it's not all about me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. yeah. Like life is, your life will be measured by what you do for other people. It, nobody cares what you do for yourself. Nobody cares how many planes you buy or how many houses you have. People do care about how many lives you've impacted in a positive way. And when I was a younger, and, and, and frankly, I think it's okay when you're a little younger to be a little self-centered. That's that's kind of what you have to, have to be. But it, it, as you mature and you grow older, at least for me, 
the major shift in my thinking has been more of a focus on what I can do for other people as opposed to what I can do for myself. So let me give you one or two concrete examples of that. So at my firm, if you need to take off for uh, any sort of family related anything, you don't even need to ask me. I mean, just go. The, 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 my business is designed for me and my employees to be able to have a place to make money and make a good living and also help a lot of people. But it, I don't expect it to be our entire lives. As a matter of fact, I don't want it to be our entire lives because I don't think you're you, you're very if your whole life is focused around your business, no matter what it is, you're not going to be as good in the business as as opposed to if you have a little bit of balance, you have good family life. Uh, you have some time to do some some uh, things in your free time. So the major the the major philosophical shift in my thinking has been: this is not all about me. This is about what I can do for other people. So I truly, truly want everybody at my firm, from the founding partner all the way down to the lowest level paralegal, to have a great, happy life. And I know that if they're not happy at work, they're going to take that stuff home and it's, it's kind of a snowball effect. So, so that's, that's kind of been, you know, figuring out how I can set up a business that serves us as opposed to us serving the business Mm -hmm. has been the major, probably, probably the major philosophical change in my life in the last five, six, seven years. I love it. Yeah. I mean, being a small business owner myself, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the reason people stay with me because they see that we're trying to have a life, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. earning a living, uh being safe, uh and then going home and and if something comes up, you, we take care of our families and I think that's what I've enjoyed about being an entrepreneur versus working in a big corporation is that there there's an acknowledgement that you're a human being and you have a life, right? As I, as I, opposed I, to when I was in corporate, it was all about, you know, it was all about the mission and they sort of you know, disregarding your, your life, like you're not supposed to have a life outside of work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and and as a, as a, as a former military guy, you'll appreciate that. So one of the big benefits I got from my military pseudo military experience was, was not just seeing people that were great leaders, but seeing people that were terrible leaders and saying, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be like that. I think that is just as important, if not more important. So when I first started law school, I was a big corporate law firm, 400 lawyers, about to have my first kid, told one of the partners, I was a lowly associate, I don't want to have to fly out of, out of Houston this week because my wife could literally give birth any day this week. I want to be in Houston. And he looked at me and said, well, you're never going to be a successful trial lawyer. And I thought to myself, WTF, like, yeah, that's, that's, exactly that's the right. priority, right? Yeah. And then I went, and then after that, I didn't stay there for that long. And I went and worked at a small law firm and the boss was had didn't have the same priorities I did. I had my second kid and I was literally in the hospital with my wife the next day and he's calling saying, you need to get back here, right? And I'm like thinking, what the hell? I'm spending three or four days yeah. with my newborn kid and my wife. You can go screw you. Like, you want to fire me, fire me. But but the point is, is like I I I got to learn. Those are great experiences. I mean, I didn't like them at the time, but they're great experiences because they taught me what I didn't want to be like. Yeah. When I when I got into that position, right? And so, you know, that kind of thing is you can see a great leader and say that 
man, that guy's a great leader. But you learn, oh, you almost learn more from people that do things the wrong way, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's something that was a lesson they taught us in the military, which was they always said, learn from every leader you work you, that you work for, and yeah. you know, pick out the good and the bad. You know, the, the the good things that you absolutely love, you want to emulate them. You want to continue those, and the things that you see that you and they make you feel terrible, like come into work right after you've had a baby, right? You you put yeah. that in your memory, like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that to my people. And and so, yeah, yeah I've got uh, 22 years of corporate experience of a lot of negative leaders that <laughs> I don't do the things that, that they, they did. And yeah. uh, and I think it makes us a better leader because we're we're a composite of all the people that we've worked for, you know? And if, yeah. if, if we're smart and we take those lessons and apply them both positive and negative, we're, we can be a great leader learning, like you said, even from the worst leaders, we can learn something from them because it's, I'm never going to be that. I'm never going to do that. Yeah, 100% agree. 100% yeah, agree. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things you say, and I love this, you say that leadership is about inspiring people to do things they never thought possible. I love that. Um, how do leaders do that? How What does that look like? You know, I, so and not not to go too deep on the philosophy or or anything like that, but I, I've become convinced. This is another thing that's changed in my life the last four or five years. I, I've become convinced that the most powerful thing in human history today, in the past, and in the future is is stories. Mm. And that's the way we think about things. It's the way we make sense of the world. World. It's the way leaders, good and bad communicate they paint a picture of what the future is going to look they they tell a story about what the future is going to look like and so i think the best leaders will they they tell stories basically and they tell a story about okay this is the mission of this law firm or this is the mission of this company whatever it may be and this is what we want it to look like in a year this is what we want to look like in three years and the, the important part about the story is it can't be a story about how brian beckham's going to make a ton of money and everybody else isn't going to get paid <laughs> anything and work 20 hours like it's got to be a story that involves everybody right yes, yes. but but once the, the great thing about that approach is, is if you tell a compelling story, uh, there's a great uh, biologist by the name of Richard Dawkins wrote a famous book called The Selfish Gene. He's the one that invented the term meme. And mm. he says memes are like genes. They spread. They're, they're self-replicating. They can be passed to different generations. I could tell you meme after meme after meme. Yes, we can build the wall. Those are all memes, yeah. right? Yeah. And the great thing about stories, memes and narratives and stuff like that is if you tell a compelling story, then the people that are following you will start telling that story to themselves and they'll become fully on board. That will become their reality for all intents and purposes. So the best leaders, there was a book, I don't have the quote with me right now, but I just read a 700 page biography last year of Napoleon Bonaparte. Mm, yeah, And he literally, he wrote like 30,000 letters. So there's tons of letters with his thoughts, but he has a great letter where he talks about, you want to lead the French people. What you got to do is you've got to tell them a story about mm. the French people, like an inspiring story about the yeah. French people. Winston Churchill is another great example that one of my heroes, Winston Churchill, the reason Winston Churchill 
was able to hold off Hitler until America joined and, and rally the British people is because he took the English language and sent it into battle. And the way he sent the English language into battle was by telling a story about these island people, these British people that have been here for thousands of years and will be here for a thousand more years. He inspired his people, but he didn't inspire them by saying, we have 27 more planes than they do. We have a right, right. smaller arm. It, it wasn't facts. It wasn't data. It wasn't stuff like that. It was stories that he was telling. And I think when you when a leader paints a story and paints a vision of the future and and can connect the individual in in how they are part of that journey towards the future, then I think you start bringing people in. You know, the British people hearing those speeches like, "Oh, I'm I'm a Brit." You know, I'm a Brit. I'm part of this island. I'm part of the history. I'm going to stand yeah. up to these guys because they see themselves in that story. When you yeah. paint, when you paint the people in the story, they start connecting their personal journey with the journey of of the organization. And when you do that, when when everyone's personal journey is aligned with the the the, the organization, you know, mission, then you have alignment. And then and, and it's one of those things as a leader, you sort of get out of the way because things start moving in the direction that you you want it to have when people are bought in with it. But it it takes time and you have to, like you said, you have to connect and you have to tell stories and there has to be, it has to be simple. It has to be, the message has to be very simple. I think you're right. We tend to, as leaders, especially as business managers, we complicate things with numbers. But that's not, you know, I'll give you an example. My first manufacturing plant I ran, I noticed that the employees on the shop floor, they knew that they were plating apart, painting apart, uh, sanding apart, but they didn't know where those parts were physically going to, right? So um, we we started teaching them that, that the, the products that we built in that factory we kept the grid operating, kept the electrical grid operating. So we, we came up with a line we help keep the lights on, you know, <laughs> I you, love you know. that. I and it was like, that. we, yeah. we are, we are powering hospitals and schools and nursing homes and shopping centers. You keep those lights on. And it was like almost overnight. There was a sense of pride. Like I don't just paint this part. I'm, I help keep the lights on. And and they were part of a bigger, because people want to be a uh, part. They want to be, you know, caught up in something bigger than the, who they are. And when you paint that yeah. picture, and you get people on board, then it's not a job; it's it's a mission, and they feel like they're they're on they're doing something that's that's bigger than themselves. There's a great story about that, and I'm going to mess it up a little bit. It may be apocryphal, but essentially, there's three stonemasons, and somebody walks out. You may have heard this story before. Some of your listeners may have heard it, and I and I'll mess it up a little bit. But somebody walks up to him and says, "What are you doing?" And one of them says, "I'm laying this brick," mm. and the other one says, "I'm building this building." And the third one says, I'm building a cathedral that's going to last for a thousand years to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you think has a better story? Who's going to be more motivated about what they're doing? Exactly. exactly. Same exact thing. Same exact thing. Yep. Different story. Yeah, no, exactly. So what's your mission? What's, are you part, are you caught up in the bigger mission or are you focused on the individual, you know, actions that you're doing? And many managers never get beyond the, I need you to file that paper. I need you to you know, uh, call that customer versus what are you yeah. doing? What's the big picture? No, that's, that's and you, yours is a great story. I mean, yours, you know, yeah. people walk in, what do you do? I'm working at this manufacturing company. Well, that's not very inspiring. Right. But if you feel like you're offering a service that helps other people, that helps the community, we keep the lights on. That's a totally different way of looking at the world. 
right? It and is. looking at what you do. Well, think about the employees that we notice too, is they go home and tell their families that. Like, what do That's you do right. at work, dad? I, That's I right. help keep the lights on. My dad yeah. keeps the lights on. You know, there's, it, it's a whole different world than I, I plate parts and I paint parts. So yeah, I think, <laughs> I think we got to connect people to that bigger mission. Yeah. Absolutely. I used to tell my kids when they were younger, much younger, because I couldn't understand what a civil plaintiff's lawyer did like I would to adults. So I used to tell them dad chases bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's a great story. So dad, dad chases, dad chases bad guys. Now the bad guys that I chase are mainly insurance companies, but there's, there's still some bad guys there, but, but, but Believe again, me, there's the, a lot the, of bad guys there. Yeah. The, the point is, is that the stories were taught. So just to tell you the story of my, my law firm, and this is a story that I tell myself, a story that I tell my employees and a story that we all believe in, that I think is true. And that is without us, the insurance companies would literally run roughshod over everybody. Yeah, There has to be somebody standing up and saying, time out. This mm. is nonsense. Y'all need to pay for this. And yeah. so that's a lot better story. If the story is, I'm going to work, see how much money I can make. I mean, maybe you're inspired by that, but that's the empty, empty it uh, is. mission if, as far as I'm concerned. That, that mission empty. is just empty. Now, now, let me be clear. I'm a free market guy. I'm a capitalist. You got to make money to have a business. You got to have money to make a good life. So I'm not saying I, I hope people go out and kill it and make as much money as they can. All I'm saying is that can't be the only goal. That that if that's the only goal, either you're you're not going to reach it because over time people are not going to want to follow you, or you may reach it and you may look back and say, "Boy, what an empty life that was." Yeah. You know, that's entirely correct. Well, Brian, this has been a fantastic discussion, and uh, I want to encourage my listeners to check out his podcast. It's Lessons for Le uh, from Leaders, and uh, because I think you're going to find a podcast very similar to mine, where you're going to see some really great leaders. You're going to hear some 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 ideas that are going to make you think. It's going to change the way you think about leadership, and so I really highly encourage that you look up. Uh, lessons from leaders and uh this is what a fantastic podcast so uh brian how can people find out more about you and your podcast and your company yeah so lessons from leaders uh that's on all the it's on youtube it's on all the different podcasting apps my website that hosts my podcast and some of my writings is brianbeckham.org and beckham is kind of an unusual spelling so it's b-e-c-k <laughs> c-o-m-b-e-c-k-c-o-m -E -C -C there's two c's in there and then my law firm is vbattorneys.com i'm also on social media i'm on twitter instagram facebook all under my own name linkedin so fair, fairly active as i'm sure it won't surprise you as a computer scientist i'm sure people <laughs> won't, won't be surprised be. to learn I'm, yeah exactly I'm, I'm fairly active on the internet so uh but yeah that that's that's the best way to reach me Fantastic. We'll put links in the show notes for those resources. So, Brian, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story. I learned a lot and uh, and let's stay connected. I really I really like what you're talking about. John, it's been a it's been a real pleasure. And uh, one of the great things about starting this podcast is having the opportunity to meet people like you. So th thank you for what you're doing uh, as well. And th this was this was a this was a blast. Really enjoyed yeah. it. 100 percent. I agree. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well.
Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.